Authentic representation in the entertainment industry of people with disabilities is something that the Ruderman Family Foundation has been involved with for some time now. While there have been some improvements lately, such as at the Sundance Film Festival making Crip Camp, a movie about the summer camp for people with disabilities in the 1970s and the disability rights movement, a major piece of their festival this year, and Zach Godeskin presenting an award at the Oscars in February, Hollywood is still lagging behind when it comes to the inclusion of people with disabilities. All Inclusive, a podcast on inclusion, innovation, and social justice with Jay Ruderman. I'm Jay Ruderman, host of All Inclusive. And we have with us today two people who have always made inclusion for people with disabilities an important aspect in their movies. Acclaimed filmmakers and Morton E. Ruderman Award in Inclusion honorees, Peter and Bobby Farrelly. I'm also excited to announce that we're running a giveaway right now to spread some joy during this season. From December 14th to January 15th, we're giving away one iPad per week for five weeks. That's five iPads. To enter, you simply go to my Twitter Instagram or Facebook at Jay Ruderman. Follow me and comment on the weekly contest post with the hashtag all inclusive iPad contest to enter to win. We'll draw a random winner each Friday. So enter now. You must be 18 or over and in the United States to participate. You know, one thing Michelle Obama said fairly recently is that most of us get to know people who are not like ourselves through TV and film. And so the medium has tremendous power. But you said it's a business. So, you know, you sort of have like a chicken and the egg. You know, you want to get actors with disabilities who have some notoriety so they can become more regular in, in film and TV, but they have to get a shot, in, you know, for it to happen in the first place. So, um, I mean, I give you guys a lot of credit because you've given a lot of people their start and, and you know that this is an issue that society needs to be more well aware of. Can you talk a little bit of about your influence on other people in the industry? Now that you're you're speaking out about this and you've spoken out for a while, but how do you influence others who are making movie and TV? Well, I, I can't say we've had a huge influence. I, I think that we've done what we've done and we haven't, you know, we've been involved in media access. Like I've passed, you know, on, like tried to get Canadian people involved. I've done that kind of stuff. We've opened our, ourselves up to it, but... From this point forward, we were going to do more because the time has come. And we didn't, you know, we really didn't get as active as we should have. We did what we did, but we didn't think about the, you know, when we weren't making movies. And that's why we want to, that's why we're doing this thing, you know, tonight with you. Because we want to, I hate awards. I don't like getting awards. But this one is an important one because what the, we're drawing attention to, you know, something that nobody's talking about, which is people with disabilities not being allowed in the door for not just inter- uh, entertainment jobs, but jobs across the world. You know, as we've stated before, you know, the, the unemployment rate's at 4%, you know, in our country right now, 70% for people with disabilities. The, you know, there's 20% of the population is disabled, and in movies and TV, it's represented at 3%. You know, it's just kind of a, a moment right now where, where we think that things are about to change, and we're going to, we want to be part of that change. We want to, we want to help out. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things, I think I might be going a little off base here, but one of the things I've learned along the way is that in order to get more people 
with disabilities into movies. They have, you know, they you have to consider them for all roles. They don't have to just be yeah. the one part where they're that super, you know, great friend that you have, or you know, like a, a, an angelic role. It's like you can consider them for any role. You can consider them for the bad guy, the good guy, the duplicitous person. You know, and and if you open up your mind and you think that they could play anything, they don't have to just be portrayed one particular way. That in itself opens up a lot more opportunity. And and honestly, the people that we've met from the disabled community, they love that. They love playing. People love to play a, a role that it's not always the, you know the the good person. You know, yeah. that you know it, it's fun to be the villain. Yeah. And so, uh, just considering. The people in the disabled community for these roles opens up a lot of doors. So you made many movies, many successful movies. Uh, any of them, you know, your favorites, ones that you look back on, you're, you're like, I, I really liked making that, or I really, you know, it came out really well. This is a cliche, but every director will always say, you know, they're like, your movies are like your kids, so it's hard to say, you know, pick one over another. But I do have to say, making The Ringer was probably the most fun I ever had in my life. And we produced The Ringer with Johnny Knoxville, you know, and it was, you know, backed by the Special Olympics. It's about a guy who tries to fix the Special Olympics, gets in there, he makes a bet, and he's going to enter a race, and he's bet on himself. And he, uh, but what he doesn't realize is they're good athletes, A, and B, uh, though he can fool the Special Olympic officials, he can't fool the athletes themselves. And they end up calling him on it, and they all bond, and it's just a really uh, uplifting movie. But what was so great about it is we had 150 kids in that movie with uh, disabilities, most of them with Down syndrome. And as anybody who's been around people with Down syndrome know, they are the most loving people on the planet. And every morning you'd get there, you had 20 minutes of hugs before you could start shooting. Every, hey, Mary, you know. It was the warmest, most beautiful set. And also, we shot it in, in uh, uh, Austin, Texas, and I just remember how much joy I felt seeing packs of kids with disabilities, like 10 Down syndrome kids, together, going down the street, having a ball, and people stopping them and asking for autographs. And you guys in the movie, can we have an autograph? You know, and it was just, they, it was, I know, I knew watching it, it, it was the happiest times of their lives. And so it was for me too. It was my best time ever making a movie. Yeah, that that was a, a really fun movie, and it, and it it kind of indicative of why a lot of movies like that don't get made is that the studio was thinking, no, you can't make a big comedy with with all these disabled people, and it, you'll be ma it'll look like you're making fun of them. And we were like, well, we're absolutely not making fun of them. The guy, you know, the guy who's in the wrong here is the Johnny Knoxville character. He thinks one thing about him. But he learns otherwise. He learns that they're a lot more able-bodied than he thinks they are. So it was only when we talked to you know Eunice Shriver and the Shrivers and the Special Olympic people and all them that they said, no, we'd love it if, you, if you'd make this movie. Uh, because they, nobody's making these kind of movies. And so, you know, the, the, the studio grudgingly agreed, but it was a little bit risky, and but I'm very proud of it. Well, here's the other thing, is that the studio said, how can you do that with 150 kids with disabilities? They're, gonna, they're not going to be on time. They're not going to know their lines. You're going to take forever to shoot stuff. They were the best ones on the set. They all were on time. They all knew their lines. It was the other guys who we were like, are you kidding me? <laughs> are you joking? You guys, like, Johnny, get your shit together, you know? No, it was, uh, they were the most prepared people on the set. And that's the other myth about people with disabilities, that it is somehow going to cost you more money, slow you down, slow down productivity. It's not true at all. And so 
you know, this isn't just for people in the entertainment industry. This is for people everywhere. If you have a company, look around, think about it. If you don't have people with, you know, it, it, some disability or another, you're not being truly fair. And so just get them in the door and interview them. And you're going to find out, you're going to end up hiring a lot of people with disabilities. So our foundation did a study not so long ago um, about, because you talked about money and, and, and this being a business, the marketability of, of, of the entertainment business and that people want authenticity. They want to see authenticity. They'll pay for authenticity. And I think there's a lot of stereotypes out there, including in the entertainment industry, about people not being able to, to act, which you know you've proven is not the case. No. Um, but I think that, that you know, we've reached an age where people want to see people like their friends and their neighbors and their family members you know, on screen. Yeah. I mean, you think of the, how hugely impactful it, it'll be to those people and their family, but just the general population. I mean, I've had the privilege to know business leaders um, and people, major figures in industry who hire people with disabilities, but they all have a personal connection. So I think, I think the challenge um, in, in the country and around the world is to move beyond the people that have that personal connection to people that don't just say, hey, listen, you know, hiring a person with a disability is, you know, they're 20% of the population. It's the right thing to do. And they're good workers and, and it'll help improve, you know, the morale and the production of, of your company. You know, there's one, like if, you, if you've ever seen um, Hamilton, and most people have by now, uh, it's the all time, you know, it's just an amazing play. And uh, but in it, you know, Thomas Jefferson is played by a black man. And, you know, I think George Washington, too, and Hamilton, the whole thing. You, you, that you think about that for ten seconds, and then you're beyond it, and 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 you're watching a thing, and color doesn't matter, race doesn't matter, nothing matters except they're telling the story about these people, and that's how we would like the world to, you know, the entertainment world to eventually get to that point where you can have people in wheelchairs and and blind people and deaf people and what whatever the disability is, people with cerebral palsy. Uh, and uh, in roles that you would never expect them to be in because you're going to find that you won't notice it very quickly. So I just want to get back to the movie-making process. How do you come up with an idea, and how does that whole process go from an idea that you have, you guys might you know, work together, to becoming a script, to getting made into a movie? Sometimes we find a script, like in the case of There's Something About Mary. It was a script written by Ed Decker and John Strauss, a couple of our buddies, They'd written it a few years earlier. We'd read it. We really liked it. We liked the setup, particularly. A guy who, you know, he's in his 30s and he doesn't have a girlfriend. He's, excuse me, never really been in love. And then the guy, you know, we find out there was one girl in high school, but she moved away. Uh, and his friend convinces him, we'll track her down, see if she's single. And he hires a private eye, tracks her down. The private eye falls in love with her, comes back, reports that she's got all sorts of issues and she's got a bunch of kids and she's, you know, all sorts of problems. And he still wants to find her. And we thought, there's a, there's a great movie there. So we took that, and then we wrote what we thought was missing, which was the first act. Like, why does he love her so much? So we hadn't seen that. That movie had started at him looking for her. So we thought we have to write a first act where, you know. Well, I remember the, and nothing against the script that we were, that they had written, but they, it had been developed at a studio, and it was, they were getting a lot of notes from a lot of people. And he was supposed to be madly in love with this girl but there wasn't anything about her that that, that seems so so much that you'd fall head over heels for her and remember her for the rest of your life and so we we did work on that uh and really one of the big things that that worked for us was that she had a brother 
who, who was uh, intellectually challenged. Uh, and, uh, and he was based on a real guy that we know grow, growing up. But his, her relationship with him was really something that was very endearing. You knew that she was a solid person just because of how much she, she loved and cared for her brother and how, how much of a big part of her life he was. And uh, so that was something that we had changed, and it, was, it, it really helped a lot. And we, we were able to put a couple of the guys we grew up with, uh, Jimmy Gifford and, yeah. and Warren Tajian, in the movie. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, that's when we really started realizing that, you know, we have to, we have to do more and more and more. And, and incidentally, you know, there were one or two, you know, that movie got good reviews, but one or two uh, reviews, not many, but a couple of them said, you know, they felt uncomfortable watching the brother, Mary's brother. And um, for whatever reason, and uh, but we never got one negative letter ever about that about that um, relationship. We always got positive letters. Like we got letters from people saying, "Hey, you know, I saw Mary, the movie Mary, and my, uh, you know, I have a sister with a, a, you know, intellectual disability, and I realized I haven't done enough with her, and you've inspired me to do more." We've got uh, got a lot of those. So it was a, it was it was really interesting to see the real world response to it as opposed to some critics who thought it was not appropriate. Well, the casting was was amazing. I mean, you guys picked, you know, great actors. I have to ask you, who wrote the scene where uh, where he has the beans above the Frank? Well, well Pete and I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, we, I think he came up with Franks and Beans, if I recall correctly. <laughs> It, it, our, our writing is like, we, we don't really remember who, who did what, but I do remember that one as we we thought uh, something's going to happen on this date, and you know what what can happen that's embarrassing, and we we thought about it you know long and hard, and and, and drew on some real life experiences that we had that believe it or not it was, it was it was based off stuff that had happened at our house, and and right now by the way we're developing a musical uh, something about Mary, yeah it's like we've already written a few songs it's it's a ball and, and you know we it's really it's a whole different thing and it's a lot of laughs. And and the uh, the firefighter in that in that scene right there is a uh, Bo uh, Boston comedian. Yeah, that's Lenny. Clark. Yeah, this is Lenny Clark and uh, Steve Sweeney is the is the police officer. So yeah, those those two guys are Boston Jackie legends. Flynn was yeah. in there. Yeah, Jackie yeah. Jackie was a cop in that and uh, not in that scene, but in, oh yeah yeah uh, yep later scene. Yeah, we always have a lot of friends and local Boston people in our movies. Yeah. <laughs> listening to All Inclusive with Jay Ruderman. You can learn more, view the show notes and transcripts at rudermanfoundation.org slash allinclusive. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you are listening. So tell me about Shallow Hal. I mean, that, that, that just, um, I mean, that's my favorite movie that you guys have, have made. And, and I think, you know, the story of disability just intertwined throughout that whole well, you know, it's funny you should mention that because we just got, like, in the last couple of days, Gwyneth Paltrow came out and says that's a movie that she's regretting having made. Oh, really? Yeah. But, um... Uh, what, and why, why did she say that? Uh, I think she, for, she was not comfortable with the, you know, the, you know, heaviness of the character or whatever. She's just... I'm not sure why, but I... I, 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 I think was, she forgot what it was about. It was about not judging people by how they look and yeah. rather look look inside and what, what kind of a person they are and that's where the beauty is and 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 in our story jack black had uh you know bumped into tony robbins who sort of put a spell on him and uh so he could only see inner beauty and he fell in love with this uh with this 
girl that other, you know, other, his friends might not have thought she was the prettiest girl, but she was such a beautiful person that all he could see was a, you know, and by the way, beauty. just to be clear, we're not saying that if you're heavy, you're not beautiful. It's just, he was shallow. In fact, we love, you know, all sizes, all types, you know, honestly, it's just that he was a shallow guy. So he didn't think that was attractive and had to learn what inner beauty was like. But in any case, Gwyneth was a pleasure to work with she actually we had a ball with her so it was disappointing for her to see this but um but the, we have no regrets we love making it we had um the, the reen kirby who was in it who is uh uh he was born with spina bifida and he's a guy from uh, vermont who we met up in burlington one day and he did a phenomenal job in it and uh it, it also you know it allowed us to to you know do a lot of the stuff uh you know, he was an important part of that movie. For Absolutely. Me. You know, the, the people that I heard saying when, when we made that movie, that if I ever heard anyone saying, and it wasn't everyone, but if, if I heard someone saying, oh, they're making fun of, uh, of fat people, or uh, I knew instantly that they hadn't seen the movie. They just thought they knew what it was about. Because if you, if you see it, you, you'd realize that it's not that. It's the exact opposite of that. It's, it's And we actually got that a little from um, The Ringer. The Ringer... We had an actress, I won't name her, but we offered her a role in The Ringer, and she responded no, but said, uh, added, uh, she passed on the project and added that she was offended by the material. And I knew, well, she obviously only read the opening, where a guy's trying to fix the Special Olympics, because if you read it to the end, you would see it's all about inclusivity and love and acceptance. So it's disappointing when, when people... And maybe we don't make, maybe the message doesn't come across all the time the way we intend it. Maybe we're, we're a little at fault there. Like, you know, I could, you know, I'm not saying we do everything perfectly, but it, it is, we are trying to, we're, we're bringing people in, trying to get people more comfortable with people with disability and more accepting of them. I remember when you had to uh, meet with the board at the uh, of the Special Olympics. Right. Uh, they they were questioning like, how do we know that you you guys aren't going to take this movie and and make all the uh, you know all the Olympic athletes look silly? I know we're not gonna, you know you're not going to do wrong by them. And, and I think you said because I don't want to go to hell, right? Yeah. You go ahead. I, said, I believe there's a God, and I don't want to go to hell. They're like, okay, yeah, we're right. <laughs> no, but then the guy said, well, I just want you to know this board. We do have the authority. We can send you to hell. Yeah, I know. Eunice Kennedy Shriver was there, and she's she's one of the most important people you know in the in the the world as far as helping you know changing people's perceptions of people with disabilities. Well, if you got the Shrivers behind you and yeah. Tim Shriver and Eunice, I think you were in, you were in good company. Peace Corps, Special Olympics, Best Buddies, all came from that family. Anthony Shriver started Best Buddies, and and if you haven't, if you don't know what Best Buddies is, I'm sure most people is. It's basically big brothers with. Uh, you know, kids with some sort of intellectual disability, not always intellectual, but some sort of a disability. And it's the greatest thing you could ever do. I did it for 20 years until my my buddy moved back to Boston. I still see him when I get back there, but uh, it's just it's just the greatest. It's like, you know, you go through life and you're always wondering if you're doing the right thing. Should I be here? Should I be there? Should I be this? Should I be that? But when you're spending the day with your buddy, you know you're exactly the right place at the right time, and you, it's just a freeing peace comes over you, and that's that's the beauty of that program. What's next? Anything uh, exciting on, on on the horizon for you guys? Well, we just we're doing a, a really interesting show on um, Quibi, which is this new. Uh, network, which it's a had, subscription network like Netflix, but it's meant to be watched on your phone or on your iPad. It's it's kind of geared towards 
millennials who do a lot of who watch a lot of things on their phones and iPads. So it's a it's a subscription service for that, and it's coming out in April. It's called The Now, and it's about a guy who is suicidal. Opens with a guy who's suicidal, and through a series of things, can't bring himself to kill himself. So realizes. He has to find a better way to live. And so he happens upon Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now, uh, which is, you know, about living in the now. Most people fear the future or regret the past. That's how people live. Rarely are you in the now, the moment. That, By the way, that you want to get in the moment, be, go to Best Buddies. Be with your buddy. You're in the moment. And uh, this is a guy who's trying to learn how to live in the now, and it's a dark comedy because it's not easy to live in the now. You know, you're on your way to a business meeting and somebody waves, flags your car down, they need help and they need a, a ride, you know, the other direction, but you have a business meeting, well, what do you do? You know, if you take the one, the guy and you're living in the now, helping the person who needs help right at that moment, you're messing something up that, you know, could hurt you later on. So it's a really interesting story. Yeah, and we, uh, we're, we're pretty excited about it because with, with Quibi, it's real short episodes. The episodes only run from, you know, like six to ten minutes long, max, ten minute maximum. So it's it's a much quicker format. We, we have a show that's got about 14 or 15 episodes, ten minute maximum, and uh, but really good cast. Uh, Dave Franco and this kid Jimmy Tatro and Shea, uh, O'Shea Jackson, Bill Murray, Daryl Hannah. So really good cast, and yeah. we're excited. Yeah, and they release one episode a day for about two weeks. You get a 10-minute episode. So, you know, you're in the, wherever you are, you're on the train, on the subway, whatever, you just put it on, you get 10 minutes, it's over, you know. Listen, I, I hope it doesn't go to 10-minute episodes everywhere, but I think that this will catch on because it's like just watching them ourselves, these little 10-minute things, it's like really fun, and it leaves you wanting more. You're like, you can't wait till the next one. Yeah, this, this whole... Uh idea was brought uh, dreamed up by Jeffrey Katzenberg was a really smart successful guy out here in uh, Hollywood and so this is his you know this is where he sees the future going so we'll see if he's right but he, he probably is for those of you that know me I'm a huge Red Sox fan and, and Fever Pitch was was a great movie that uh, those of us in in uh, Red Sox nation loved but uh, one final question favorite Red Sox player of all time yes okay good choice I think Tony Canigliaro for me. Yeah. Tony C. We've, we've been trying to like do what we can to help Tony C get his, his number should be retired by the Red Sox. He was at that time the youngest guy to have 100 home runs. You know, he would have been a, probably a Hall of Famer. And he was struck down during a game, in the game, because of the game, not like off car accident or something. And so it seems to us that he should have that number retired. You know, they haven't, they don't retire a number, a lot of numbers there. But Tony C. Yeah, there was something about whenever you're struck down on the, even before your prime, it was really, it was heartbreaking. So I, I did love Tony C. But uh, love Johnny Damon too. He tarnished himself a little by jumping over the Yankees. But uh, those, that, for those moments when he was with us, and uh, particularly when we were making Fever Pitch. You know, he was the man. I was tickled to see Yaz's grandson get pulled, called up last year yeah. and, yeah, and killing it. You know, he was really hitting the hell out of the ball. And uh, that just made me so happy to see Stremski up on the board again. You know, that, 1967, I was 10 years old, and that was like the beginning of my, you know, world, you know, lifelong love affair with baseball. Yeah, well, it's been a pleasure talking to you guys, and uh, thank, thank you for Jay. your time. and. Thank you for your leadership. You've done great work and, and you know, the comedy and, and everything you've accomplished. I uh, wish you continued success. 
And thank you. I appreciate what you're doing. You're changing the world. You really are. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All Inclusive is a production of the Ruderman Family Foundation. Our key mission is the full inclusion of people with disabilities in all aspects of society. You can find All Inclusive on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. To view the show notes, transcripts, or to learn more, go to rudermanfoundation.org slash all-inclusive. Have an idea for a podcast? Be sure to tweet at jruderman.